Ah, oh, friends, we made it this far. Um, I did not uh, drop the water, so that's a great thing. Um, so uh, last week, we started a six-week series. We titled How We Know Where to Go. And as we worked to recognize and respond to the activity and leadership of God, I suggested a couple of weeks ago that we have to hold two truths in tension. And I have become convinced deeply of these two truths. The first is that God is active and present and eager to lead us, that this is who God is. But the second truth is that recognizing and responding to God's leadership can be complicated and challenging for a whole host of reasons. And so what we're going to do uh, this morning and the next couple of weeks is talk about some of those reasons and then what we can do to respond to those reasons, how we can cultivate a posture of being open and receptive to God's leadership and then having the courage to respond. Now, one of the most foundational reasons I think it's challenging to respond to God's leadership is that 90% of the time, I think we know where we want to go and we just want God to agree with us and then make it easier for us to get there. In other words, we want to make decisions, not receive direction, which as many of you have already probably guessed, that's not exactly the kind of relationship that God has in mind. Obviously, we like that arrangement, but God is way more interested in a relationship where God leads. So I want to begin by reading two passages from the Bible that I think address this dynamic in our souls, one from the Old Testament and one from the New. The first is a, a both of these passages actually will probably sound familiar if you've spent much time in church. The first is from Proverbs 3, 5 to 7. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight, or he will direct your path. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. And then the second passage is from the book of Matthew. It, this is uh, an excerpt from Jesus's longer sermon. And in this particular context, he's addressing our impulse to worry and to grasp for control of our lives. And so, um, he begins by addressing his uh, disciples and those who are sitting around him by saying, seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness. And then all the rest of these things will be added and given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, okay, so <laughs> Dennis and I sometimes like to play a little two-player game at our house. Um, it's called, Where Do You Want to Eat? Now, maybe you play this game at your house too, uh, but for those of you who are unfamiliar, I will, let me, let me share how it goes. Uh, the, begin, the game begins with player one asking the obvious question, where do you want to eat? And then player two responds, I, I don't really care. Why don't you make the decision? Now, player one then makes a suggestion like, let's say, Culver's. And at that point, player two says, I, I don't really know that I'm in the mood for Culver's. 
Player one makes another suggestion, which player two quickly lobs back across the net with a, are you kidding me, Chipotle? Player one, rapidly becoming exasperated, drills one back. Clearly, someone does care. Now, this game can go on for a good half hour if you have really experienced players. And let me tell you, uh, the two of us are professionals. And uh, I think we can all agree that there is nothing more crazy making than trying to make a decision with someone who says they don't care and who says they will go anywhere, but in fact has all kinds of opinions just waiting to be discovered. Now, I'm sure you don't play this game at your house, but uh, I think it's a silly low stakes example that illustrates an important principle when it comes to following God's leadership. See, I think a lot of times I begin a conversation with God about what to do next from a, I don't care, you make the decision position. But in truth, I am not indifferent. I have a lot of pretty strong opinions about what I want to see happen. And sometimes those opinions are conscious and clear. I see a job I think that would be fantastic or a school I want to get into or a person I'm sure God wants me to be uh, dating, right? Obviously, those are not, those are hypothetical situations. Those aren't a me, but right, you get the point. Sometimes we know and we're real sure we understand what God would want next because isn't it obvious? Those are amazing things. Sometimes we have more unconscious desires the desire to be well off or the desire to have status or the desire to be liked. But if we are going to recognize and respond to God's leadership, then one of the most important starting points is to move to a place that's pretty counter to our natural humanity. Now, it's a place that Spanish priest and theologian Saint Ignatius called holy indifference. Now, normally, I know indifference means apathy or disinterest, and it's not really a desirable trait. But holy indifference is a really rich and positive idea, and it's full of all kinds of spiritual significance. Holy indifference means that we become indifferent to everything but following God. It means arriving at a place in our soul where we can honestly say God's will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Um, I think Jesus puts it this way. It's when we're able, right, to seek first and foremost the priorities and the reign of God, the work and rule of God in our lives and in the world. Now, this kind of indifference is different than how the Buddhists understand indifference. For the Buddhist, that indifference looks like a complete de detachment from the world and from everything. Holy indifference is a little different because it's actually, it doesn't mean that we let go of everything. It's the capacity to let go of anything that doesn't help us love God and love others while holding tightly to God's love for us and for others. Now, Loyola thought of this as a kind of spiritual freedom because it positions us to place our lives into God's hand and trust God for the outcome. Now, I bet if you are someone who has uh, spent a lot of time reading the Bible, you can think about maybe several examples where we see this kind of uh, positive or negative example in scripture. And um, so I think there's a number of them. For example, last uh, 
a year ago, we spent a lot of time with Abraham. Um, and sometimes Abraham was able to operate with holy indifference, following God with trust and freedom. Like when he left his father's home uh, because God called him to, and then God didn't tell him where to go. Or uh, fast forward several years in Abraham's life, um, God asks him, instructs him to be circumcised and Abraham does it. Now, both of those instances required him to let go of his attachment to security and for sure comfort, right? <laughs> to do what God asked. But at other times, he was way more attached to his own safety. Um, and, you know, as a result, he ends up running to Egypt. He lies about his marriage. He gets himself into all kinds of trouble. In one situation, he's able to be wholly indifferent to everything except what God has asked him to do. And, and another, that fear drives him right into ditches. I think about Mary as another example, Jesus's mother. Um, I'm still amazed that she was able to respond to the angel who tells her that her world is going to be turned upside down by saying, I am your servant. May it be to me as you have spoken. What an incredible picture of holy indifference. But later, she is convinced she knows better than her son. And she tries to take him home because she thinks he's gotten kind of crazy, uh, which is clearly not indifferent anymore. She thinks she knows better, right? Um, so I love that we see in each, in a lot of people in the scriptures, pictures of both. But I think one of the most compelling pictures of this holy indifference is the night before Jesus is arrested. He wrestles in prayer at the Garden of Gethsemane for near as we can tell hours. Um, and it is so difficult, but he, and he keeps asking God, is there any other way? My, I really think we should go this direction. And he wrestles until he can get to a point where he says, not my will, but God, yours be done. Now, I particularly love this picture because it shows that arriving at a position of holy indifference is not easy, even for Jesus. And I think there's a lot of reasons that it can be kind of tricky to, to arrive at a place of holy indifference. Um, the first is that it just flies in the face of our modern definitions of success. I mean, let's be honest, we love people who are confident and decisive and know exactly what they want. I mean, if you go on Pinterest, you can find all kinds of examples of vision boards, and we love to draw up pros and cons lists and logic things out. But as Proverbs 3, as Proverbs 3 reminded us this morning, it's really dangerous to lean only on our view of the world, on our own understanding. Friends, there's a reason 75% of us think we're smarter than average. Yeah, I'm going to give you a minute to let that sink in. Yeah, here's the truth. We don't have a clear view of ourselves. And often our picture of what we want is skewed. I remember learning this uh, again a couple of years ago, um, and it still humbles me. Um, so many of you know, when our church still had two buildings and two properties uh, in the middle of COVID, we were we discerned that it would probably be wise to sell our older original property and unify to one campus. Now, before we had the property appraised or put on the market, a church approached us about buying it for what was we knew was probably less than what it was worth, but 
we weren't sure. Now, I thought it seemed like a great price, you know, with all my real estate experience. <laughs> and if the decision had been up to me, I probably would have sold it right then and there. Um, and I think that was driven by a number of things. I think I was uh, afraid that it wouldn't sell at all. I think I wanted to be seen as a bold, uh, decisive leader. I think I wanted, I mean, there was all kinds of mixed things. Thankfully, uh, I am not solely in charge. Uh, this is why we have teams of people and it's always safer to lead in community. And so God helped me let go of my ego and my fear and invited me not to lean on my own understanding, but listen to our leadership team. And then God brought a good appraiser and another church. And in God's time, we sold that property for more than double what the first church offered. But I will be honest, it was a struggle, partly because I was not indifferent in the midst of it. And it took me a while to get let go of my ego and my fear and get to that wholly indifferent place. Which leads me to my second reason. I think holy indifference is difficult. And that's because we're human. And in our humanity, we are attached to a lot of outcomes and priorities. Uh, St. Ignatius talks about prioritizing. We, we naturally prioritize wealth over poverty, health over sickness, success over the possibility of failure. And there are all kinds of other sub subcategories. We prefer status and ego and titles and personal preferences and comfort and fear and the desire for personal beauty and health. There are all kinds of things that end up driving us underneath. And Jesus struggled with many of these same forces, I think, that night at the Garden of the Gethsemane. His humanity understandably and naturally wanted to avoid the humiliation he was about to experience, the physical pain, and even his sense of abandonment on the cross. Here's the reality. You and I will always have hidden or not so hidden priorities that are driving us because we are human and we can't eliminate them entirely. What we can do and what's really important when we're trying to decide where to go is to slow down and let the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, help us see those attachments so we can work to relinquish them. I, as we do this process of slowing down and asking the Spirit to sh show us, I love how Ruth Haley Barton, author, um, says, don't judge when God begins to bring those to your attention. Just notice them with compassion. And then if you're willing, ask what needs to die in me in order for the will of God to find room in my life. I love that, to find room in my life. What do I need to let go of in order to receive some new gift of God? Now, friends, that, that is a courageous and a risky prayer. It's a prayer for indifference. And that leads me to, I think, the third reality that I want to point out about holy indifference. And that is that real indifference is impo impossible on our own. It's just impossible. See, the truth of the matter is, is that left to our own devices, we can't do this. We need help from God. And I think holy indifference is a gift. It's a grace that's given as we work to position ourselves in that kind of space. Now, um, 
I think the reality of that, hang on a second. Oh, okay. I'm going to have to reach for my notes because the computer locked up for a second. So, and I don't want to get this wrong. So give me a second here. Um, okay. We're back on. Uh, so, cause I was talking about how important it is that the reality is, is that we can't get to holy indifference completely on our own. Uh, we can deliberately open ourselves up to let God show us what we're trusting in or leaning on. And we can ask the spirit to give us courage to release it. We can ask God to help us and then trust for help in surrender. But that takes time and honesty and confession and trust. And it's not easy work to keep asking God to help us see in me what needs to die. Now, Here's the trouble though, if we don't do that work, if we don't pray for indifference and let the spirit show us what we're still holding on to, we're gonna have a really difficult time knowing where God is actually leading. Peter Scarcero says it this way, and it's so powerful. He says, if we are clutching or overly attached to one outcome versus another, we won't hear God clearly. Our spiritual ears will be deafened by the racket of our disordered loves, fears, and attachments. In such a state, it is almost a foregone conclusion that we will confuse our will with God's will. Let me, let me just repeat that last phrase. In such a state, it is almost a foregone conclusion that we will confuse our will with God's will. Let me, let me give you a word picture, a return to the word picture I started with, because I think it might help illustrate what I'm talking about. When most of us come to a fork in the road, we jump in our car, the car of our life, right? And we decide where we want to go. And then we turn and we ask God to give us the best possible directions for how to get there in the easiest and the quickest way possible. Um, Sometimes, though, when that's not working, or maybe we are trying to grow in our ability to follow God, we slow down, we pull the car over, and we invite God to drive, which is a perfect step. But then what can happen next, if we're not careful, is that uh, God starts driving us towards something like forgiving someone who has hurt us, or taking a job with a lot lower pay because it would help fix a broken system. Or, I mean, you can probably insert any number of examples. When God starts driving us to a place where we don't want to go, if we aren't careful, our pride or our fear or our desire for wealth jumps into the driver's seat, pushes God out of the way and starts steering us towards the safer or the more ego stroking option. And what's really insidious is that most of us have an unlimited ability to justify our own preferences in God language. And what's tricky is the longer we're in church and the more comfortable we get in the Bible, the more difficult and the easier this is to have happen. And so the anecdote is to slow down regularly, not just once, but often, and keep asking God, show me who or what is driving my life right now. Is it you or is it my desires? Help me to trust you with all of me, not leaning on my own understanding or wisdom to drive my life. That can't be a one and done prayer, unfortunately, because our, uh, our sinful and natural drives will 
reassert themselves over and over and over again. Now, I imagine if I'm you, you're probably sitting there thinking, gosh, Suzanne, that sounds so much slower and harder than just praying for God to bless me and take it off. And that's true. hundred <laughs> percent. In fact, um, if I were you, I might be asking, why would anyone choose to pray and pursue, pray for and pursue holy indifference? And I think uh, the author of a blog post I was reading this week said this so beautifully. So I just want to quote, quote them. They said, when we live for the reasons we were made, in other words, loving God and loving neighbor, when we live for the reasons we were made to praise, love, and serve God, we become truly happy, fulfilled, and free. When we allow our self-preoccupations and disordered loves like money and success and jealousy of our neighbor's stuff to become what matters most, well, then we find ourselves out of balance and unhappy and ultimately miserable. We're forever craving, clinging, competing, scheming, sneaking, worrying, demanding more and more. Will we get the job, the raise, and the right decor? And who will pick out the right color scheme for our newly remodeled and very expensive kitchen? Our lives get consumed. In short, it reminds me of something simple Jesus said that is way easier to say than to do. If we want to save our lives, we have to lose them. Now, the good news is we are not alone. When we cry out, God doesn't ignore us, but moves to help as we seek God's kingdom first, as we keep looking and asking God to help, he adds all that we need to us. So let's take a minute and get really, really practical here. Perhaps there's a situation even right now that you are trying to figure out where to go next. Let me just walk you through really practically what you can do. The first thing is stop the car pause life, slow down, set aside five or 10 minutes every day, at least until you reach a clarity and resolution about what God is leading to. Step two, pray for holy indifference. And I'm going to teach you a really simple prayer. You can pray. You can sit in a space where it's very comfortable and start taking deep breaths. And as you breathe in, pray, God, help me see and then you breathe out what needs to die in me. God, help me see what needs to die in me. And then sit quietly. And I would encourage you have some sticky notes or maybe a, a notebook right there so that as things come to mind, just jot them down. And remember what Ruth Haley Barton says, don't get all mad at yourself, just notice with compassion, right? Oh, yeah, I really want this. I'm really afraid of this. And I would encourage you keep doing that over time because then you'll start to see themes of things that are probably you're, you're very committed and attached to that are other than Jesus. And, and then as you wrap up your time, and again, I think it can be, it doesn't have to be long, but I think then you want to ask God to help you let go of the things that you're holding on to so tightly. Ask the spirit to help you 
be willing to do God's will. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. And I think as we pray that prayer, God delights to answer it. So you've probably guessed to close our uh, sermon, this part of our service, I want to invite you to actually do this this morning. So get comfortable, open your hands. Sometimes that's even really good for me. I, I find that opening my hands positions even my body to be open. And I want to invite you to begin by breathing in and out deeply and slowly. And as you breathe in, pray, God, help me see what needs to die in me. God, help me see what needs to die in me. And now, I know this is a little shorter than what you would do at home, but I would invite you to join me in praying that God would help you to let go and ask the Holy Spirit to help you be willing to do God's will. Nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. And now I pray, God, that you would give every person listening to this right now grace to let go of the things we so desperately cling to. We confess that we have outcomes we desire more than you. We want to chart the course and have you follow us instead of following you wherever you would want to lead. God, thank you for your patience and your grace. Thank you for forgiveness that says when we confess, you delight to forgive us. Thank you for loving us in our stubbornness and our selfishness and our resistance. Grant us the courage to slow down, let you examine our hearts, and then would you wash us with your love and help us to trust you afresh and anew. And now I would invite you to join me out loud or just quietly in the Lord's prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray that echoes this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.